Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, we talk to Carl Steinmeier. This is one of those fantastic episodes where we actually get to talk about the site. We get to reveal the site. Carl runs homebrewacademy.com, which is about homebrewing beer. So it was pretty fun for me because I got to go on tangents that were actually related to the topic that we were talking about. So it's pretty cool. Carl tells us about how he got this site. So he didn't build it from scratch. He goes into details on the multiple revenue streams, which he's earning about $5,000 per month, which is cool. That gives us roughly a $200,000 valuation. And that's based on a pretty generous multiple of 40X the monthly profit. So one thing to consider there is it's generous because I did say 40X. The thing is I'm giving uh, you know Carl some extra credit points here because he has these multiple revenue streams. Some of them are his own products, which are courses. So the other very unusual thing that Carl has done, or at least it's rare to hear about, is he's partnered with experts in the industry of homebrewing and, and beer and all that great stuff. And he's been able to have them create courses for him, which he markets. So it's a, a great system, a great way for, you know, really everyone to win. So Carl has uh, products to sell. He's able to use his skills in marketing. And then the other folks, these experts in the industry, they're able to earn money from their expertise, but they don't have to go through all the headache of learning how to produce a uh, course and sell it and all those details. I mean, they have to come up with a curriculum, but usually that's not necessarily easy, but it's uh, more of a straightforward process versus marketing. So we get into all the details. And at the end, I have some ideas and suggestions for Carl. So Carl did a cool thing and he kind of put me on the spot there at the end of our interview. So I I had to think about it. I had to do a little research. So at the end, I will give some tips and maybe some suggestions for Carl Steinmeier. I think that is it for the intro. So let's get to it. Carl, how's it going today? I'm doing great, Doug. How are you doing? Awesome. Happy to be talking about beer. I am experiencing dry January right now, and I'm actually sleeping much better, and I feel better. I wish I could say my hair is growing back, but it's not, and I'm just excited to talk about beer and content and everything. So for the people that don't know you, and actually, I don't know you that well, Carl, can you give a little Mm -hmm. intro about yourself and maybe if you had a kind of a corporate career or, or what your deal is. And then we'll start talking about the site in question today. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I kind of did the normal trajectory path, I guess, right out of high school, I just got a job and got kind of settled into that job. And after about four or five years, I started getting frustrated with that particular job. And my boss seemed to help that process along even farther and faster. Um, so about six years in, I typed in how to make money online and spun on down the rabbit hole of, uh, of awesomeness and uh, 
traps and all kinds of good stuff that I fell for early on. But uh, it kind of helped me in that cubicle a little bit more than um, than just sitting there hate, hating the job. Um, so I kind of I worked on the side and I hustled and um, I started building websites on the side for a few years. And after a couple years, I was able to sell one of my assets that I built and leave that job uh for good forever so i've been been at home working at home for probably three or four years now inside of the the seo world building websites and um yeah yeah i I run the homebrew academy right now which is a lot of fun that's the the homebrewing crossover you're you're talking about and i've i've run that site for about two years uh i think it's about seventy-five thousand page views a month Uh, so it's not one of the bigger homebrewing sites out there there's definitely massive conglomerates in that space you know but this isn't this isn't a secret niche you know it's not some um affiliate marketing website that that you know i'm, I'm afraid to share the url and the and the brand and stuff it actually has branded search traffic to it um right on. You know, which is which is something that i'm <clears throat> i'm uh i'm proud of i guess to say you know i'm most of the time I I'm the first person to put out that barf face when somebody says branding and any other type of, uh, uh, marketing terminology that is, uh, is in that set of gray zone space. But, um, you know, it's got a very low, low search volume when it comes to the actual branded search traffic. But I think that's going to be a bigger factor moving forward. Um, very so the cool. site's right about, right at about five grand a month, you know, it's 30, 30, 40, uh, 40% of that is affiliate marketing, 30% is ads and 30% is courses. All right. And that, that's cool. You're filling in the blanks. I don't even have to ask the question. So 75,000 visitors per month, roughly about $5,000 per month in revenue. Mm-hmm. And it's a good split. That's actually the kind of split that you would want to see. So you got display ads at 30% courses at uh, 30% and then affiliate at 40 for the affiliate side, I suspect there's a lot of individual brands that you're working with homebrew shops and stuff, or how does that break down? Yeah, it, it generally starts uh, on the Amazon front and then proving sales and proving conversions through Amazon tracking. And then sometimes I'm able to move a partnership off of Amazon to be able to work with a, with a, a brand direct um, sometimes not. Yeah, so it's it's probably ninety percent Amazon, ten percent not Amazon on that affiliate front. Okay, and then as far as the courses, how did you um, like find those partners? Are you creating the courses yourself, or yeah, what what's being sold on the course side? Yeah, it's uh, it's specific homebrewing uh, information. So there's not just one general course that just says how to make beer. It's it's courses that are partnered with guys that have been in the, in the industry for a lot longer than I have. You know, there's Josh Weikert. He has a BJCP mastery course. You know, it's all about prep, test prep for the actual exam, um, and you know to to pass it the first time. Right. You know, so it's, it's a very specific, um, course inside the industry for a very specific person that wants to pass a test to be a certified beer judge. Right. So, you know, we're not talking like how to be better at life type of, of courses. They're very, very niche, you know, inside the market with, with hardly any competition. Um, so that, that helps, but these guys, Marty Nagel is another one. Um, 
and then Josh Lavoy. You know, these guys have have kind of been around the beer industry for a long time. They just they're not interested in building websites. They're not interested in the business side of things. They're they're specialists in the actual beer niche and passionate about that. So I kind of approached them and partnered up and said, I've got this, this site. I'm very passionate about the business end of things. Um, and I can bring these marketing skills to that partnership and, and you bring the content and it's worked out, worked out well. Very cool. That's amazing. For the people that don't know, I think probably if you listen to the podcast or watch the YouTube interviews, you know I'm into beer. I'm a BJCP judge and um, I've given classes like what you're talking about. I'm fairly highly ranked. So in certain like in certain geographies, right, like there's no one that you can go have a class with. So when I moved to Montana, I was one of seven judges in the whole state. It's the fourth largest state. There's only about a million people there. So there were very few judges. We couldn't really have homebrew competitions because we didn't have enough judges. So I started giving the class. So essentially added like 10 more judges to the pool and then gave another test in the future. So it's, it's pretty cool that people can take it online, show up for a test and all that stuff. So from the business end, how did you present this um, opportunity? Like, are you paying them out each month? Did you just hire those guys for um, creating the content or how did that work? Yeah, I just I just kind of cold emailed them and asked them what their what their preference was. You know, I just I told them I would be able to bring X amount of visitors to the site because here's the actual metrics in Google Analytics, Google Search Console. Um, I said, you know, this is this is kind of what I'm looking to do. What 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 do you want to do, right? You know, so that's generally kind of worked out to a 50-50 split on on uh, on core sales and Teachable makes that incredibly easy. Uh, all the back end is taken care of with somebody that signs up to a course, paid my cut. The course instructors paid their cut, and there's no, I mean, it's all automated and they have access to everything. So they can log into the dashboard and see any metrics, see traffic, see drop off rates, and they can see all the, all the different students that have joined their course um, for the, the lifetime of it. Yeah, so it's, it's fully automated on the back end, which makes it very, uh, very appealing. Sure. That's, that's amazing. I know from, you know, me being a course creator, there's a lot of work in each stage. So even if you have the course material, you still have to sell it, which is pretty tough. And then there's the whole tech side where you're editing, uploading videos and all those details. So I imagine it's a great opportunity for both parties and it's a win-win. It's full transparency since they can log in and see how much money is coming in. So there's probably a lot of trust there. Yeah. That, yep. Awesome. So do, how, how many um, like course uh, students have you had? Can you share any of those details like that? Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, sure. Yeah. I don't know if it's out of my head. Uh, sorry. I just kind of know it's, it's on average, you know, it's um, you know, about 1500 a month in revenue comes through several different courses. So it's, whichever ones are usually promoted on a promotion cycle through uh, an automated email sequence that somebody signs up on a site, they get a lead magnet. You know, this is, this is uh, marketing to the actual specific user demographic, the, the interested person, right? You know, 
marketing to marketers, sometimes people get a little, um, yeah, they, uh, they, they don't know that there's the line there all that much and they're, they're weaving back and forth across it. Right. You know, there's, there's, uh, people that kind of turn their nose, I guess, at, um, a lead magnet, like, you know, my 14 free brewing hacks, you know, to brew better beer or whatever, you know, and there's people that think that, uh, that should just be sign up to my list. Right. You know, and that, that works for marketers that have a, a lot of content outside of their specific email list driving directly to it. Um, but in this case, in this niche, it's marketing directly to the, the people that are passionate about it uh, with a lead magnet that makes sense and automated sequence at the back end. And then uh, quarterly, quarterly promotions, uh, promotion schedule across each course. I, I actually um, put a pin on the last two quarters in 2020, just because I didn't feel great about where that particular industry was at. There weren't any homebrewing competitions. There wasn't any live events. Um, there wasn't any new beer judges that needed to be created in that time frame. Um, so I wasn't going to push that course too heavy. Um, people are still learning how to brew beer, you know, which makes the content on the site go better than it was when they were, <coughs> you know, working 50 hours a week at a different location. Um, but you know, that COVID seems to help out traffic a little bit, which helps out, you know, the rest of the, the, of the lead magnet opt-ins and metrics and all that stuff too. Yeah. Wow. And again, just a great intersection with the stuff in my life. So the last competition that I judged was just down the street. Yeah. I'm in an awesome area for beer competitions and awesome judges. The Brewers Association is like 15, 20 minutes away. So I judged um, a competition on like March 7th or so. And I think like everything shut down the following week. So I remember... People were a little bit more cautious, but I do yeah. remember the uh, one of the stewards, like a judge helper, was sitting at the table and he was like, "Hey, do you want to try this beer?" And he was gonna about to pass me his glass, and I was like, "No, man! Like, wait, are you crazy, dude?" So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have some. That keys. was <laughs> that was a common thing. I mean. A lot of times you're sitting with people, you know, pretty well, and you know, you, you pass a glass back and forth or whatever. This is so disgusting to even think about now, but yeah, that was like common practice, you know, back in the day. Now I say common practice, it would be with like someone that I'm, I'm personally friends with and I know them. So anyway, yeah, there's a big yeah. intersection and all the competitions were essentially canceled or somehow changed up. So I recently got an email. Things could be opening up for you soon, Carl. I got an email. They're doing the uh, homebrew conference, like competition, the homebrew, like the nationals. And they are, there's actually going to be a site down in the Boulder area. So I may go down there. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but they're obviously taking a ton of precautions. So it could open up. I mean, people still want to brew beer, and they still want to judge and all that stuff. It's just, as soon as we can get out there, we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, uh, interesting areas of life, you know, like with football, you know, it seems to be, it's substituting in for a lot of the free time that we used to have. So their numbers are incredibly up when it comes to like people actually watching from home. Right. You know, so the beer industry is, is uh, they're trying to pivot a little bit. You know, the IC services popping up where you can send in your home brewed beer to have it judged, right? You know, and that mm -hmm. wasn't 
probably one of those things that a lot of people would think about um, before this. They like, no, I want to like watch you taste it in front of me because I brewed it right, and I'm handing it to you, and we're gonna shake hands after and talk about how awesome it is, right? Like, why would I send it in through the mail? You know, that doesn't really make that mental connection, I guess, when it comes to that um, that setup. But yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a market that's evolving fast, I think. So let's back up and talk about the origin of the site. So did you start it from scratch? Where did it come from? And just walk us through that. Yeah, it was, uh, I'm, I'm not the original owner. I bought it from a guy. He's on the actual site uh, on the about page. I completely forgot it. We, had, we talked about it and I left that on there. So he's Billy Broas. Broas, Bros is his last name. He started it and he was doing live live courses like twice a year he would do this build up and he would do a beer tasting mastery course um it would be a live um taste six or seven different beers alongside of him and learn about the different aspects of 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 all of them right and he would he would do all right i think he told me that it was about 20 to 25k in revenue per year with two live launches but it was a it was a lot of work um and it just wasn't hitting the numbers that he wanted it to. He ended up selling the site to a, a mutual acquaintance of ours, um, a guy that runs the Bacon Rap Business podcast, Brad Costanzo. Um, he, he's another digital marketer out in California. We partnered up and I kind of evergreened the courses out. Uh, I came in from the SEO side of things improved the SEO on the site, redesigned it, relayed it out, site speed, technical, you know, the top-down approach that you would take once you bought a new site. And then uh, about 12 months in, he said he wasn't wanting to pursue the partnership anymore, so I just bought the site from him. That was about two years ago. Okay. Does that kind of sum it up? Yeah, and you're the sole owner right now? Yeah, yep, yep. Right on. Okay. And can, can you share like what this selling or the purchase price was like before you picked it up or what, whatever you can share? Just if you can't, that's okay. I know there's um, a lot of times there's a lot of confidentiality around the sell- sales. Yeah, it was a, it was a 17 X multiple, just, um, just the way that he had things set up and organized. And uh, there was a lot of operator time behind that. And we weren't backing out my operator time for the SEO portion of it. Um, I was just doing it for uh Consulting at first and then operating second uh, for display ad revenue, plus adding on courses with partnered course creators. Um, so it was kind of a murky partnership, but we ended up selling on a 17x multiple, monthly multiple, based on some of the operations time that I had put into it. Yeah, about about a year and a half ago. For For the content, if you can recall, how much was on there I guess when you started working on it and then how much is on there now, what's sort of the publishing schedule that you've adopted at this point in time? Yeah, it was just over 150 posts. I think there was a lot of scattered content. Billy had, uh, had a couple of his friends that would come on and do guest posts and a couple of guys they knew at breweries and, you know, just some handshake agreements to promote different things. And, you know, there were some posts about, you know, where he was traveling, you know, 
15 years ago from to and from, you know, it was kind of like a Facebook post that was embedded in there. And there was just a lot of random stuff that was kind of unorganized and, and not really collected along the, the homebrew um, side of things. But, you know, he had, he had originally started that site and it was, uh, it was billybros.com, you know, and he moved that over to homebrewacademy.com and it just, it, it wasn't a very clean migration. Uh, there was some personal stuff that just kind of made it across. So I kind of, um, I kind of laid out more of a processed, um, organized system when I took over the, the SEO role to post four posts a week, um, to have one of those be, uh, a recipe post, one of them be another informational piece of content, commercial content, whether it's uh, a, a solar review or roundup based on the community feedback. You know, there's a Facebook group with just close to 5,000 members. Um, so they would give their feedback on, you know, it'd, it'd be a curated um, piece of content based on a review from the community. So it wasn't just me buying the thing and, you know, look at this awesome kettle, right? You know, it's, it's got markings on it here, right? You know, and it's got markings on it there, you know, so it, it was more of an organized group feedback, I guess, at the start of the thing. And then, um, then I touched base with uh, Martin, who was doing a, a homebrew challenge. Um, and we kind of added that into the content cycle uh, to be able to, to notch that back up. He was, he was about 20 weeks into this 99 beer challenge he was brewing all 99 bjcp style beers of one a week for two years so i'm still playing a little catch up with him when it comes to where he's currently at on the live schedule you know i'm putting out a, a piece of content from a writer with his video transcript kind of more of a of a, of a full media piece rather than just here's a recipe you know go brew it you know there's some history there's intro there's you know, a little bit of interest goes into the piece. And uh, I do like one of those every five days, you know, he brews every seven days. So like we're getting ground at him. Gotcha. And that's pretty cool. So that's the YouTube side. And yeah. yeah, before we hop over to the YouTube stuff, which we'll dig into. So we have originally when you started working on the site, I think about two years ago, there were 150 posts, a little bit scattered. It required a content audit, which I'm actually going to do on niche site project right now. Cause I have some nonsense going on. Just what you're talking about. Just some bullshit. That's yeah, like personal updates or no keywords. There's a lot of content where there's literally no keyword that I'm going for, or even worse, I have multiple pieces of content that literally have the same keyword. So I need to go through, did you see mm -hmm. a big uptick after you cleaned everything up just without publishing more content? Yeah. Yeah. Almost double. Okay. Do you have a handle on how much you deleted and or sort of curated down? I would say there's, there's just under 10 of these series posts that were like how to build a specific thing, but it would be like, you know, say the Brutus 10 would be how to build the frame, then how to do the wiring, then how to do the gas, then how to do the liquid. And it'd be all separate, right? It'd be like, here, go to the next post, right? To how to build the Brutus 10. So there's four different URLs for that, right? You know, and there's probably just under 10 of those with different pieces of DIY equipment, like how to build this thing, but a split up into four different posts. Well, you know, that might've 
been kind of the industry standard at the time. Um, but obviously the industry evolves and updates, right? You know, you can add jump links to that content. You can, you know, you can organize it and clean it up and make it more digestible inside of one URL. You know, so all the links to these three other posts in the series, I collect and consolidate and I redirect them all the way back up to the, the main piece of content. You know, so that would be, that's where a good portion of the traffic increase came from was kind of killing that cannibalism going on with, you know, if, if somebody types in how to build a Bruce 10, right, does Google send them to the, the wiring post or do they send them to the frame post or it's like that nobody's typing in a specific how to wire, you know, a, a DIY Brutus 10, you know, so they're, they're typing in how to build it, right? So all aspects of it. So that really kind of helped, you know, there was a bunch of that minus the personal stuff, you know, like you said, that weren't targeting any keywords, you know, there's, there's stuff on there that is still not targeting keywords, but it's targeting links, right? It's linkable assets, um, data, statistics, stuff like that, that wouldn't be a valuable high traffic keyword to target. You wouldn't want to put that much time and effort into a, a data or statistics post about, you know, how many people burn down their houses a year by trying to homebrew beer inside with a, a fire burning propane unit, you know, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's surveys and, you know, there's stuff that collects that stuff up, but I mean, you wouldn't want to put that much time and effort into surveying an audience or putting that in an email sequence or any of that uh, for a data post that gets 10 searches a month. Right. You know, but for a linkable asset, you know, it's a little bit different. That is good to know. I'm excited to see what's going to happen on niche site project because I have started auditing and making changes a few times, but I never followed through in a big way. There's a strong chance I need to delete about, I don't know, half or 60% of the content and just get rid of it, kind of start fresh. And I'm at that point where I need to do it. I can see traffic is kind of suffering just from neglect and that sort of thing. So, all right. Then once you got in there, you clean things up. Then you adopted a four post per week where you had a theme. So that kind of lightened the load as far as like coming up with new ideas and you've been publishing a lot of content. So how much content is on the site at this point in time? Uh, right around 300 uh, posts or pages. Parent, okay. Child. Yep. Yep. Okay. And then from, from this point in time, like, do you have a target on how much you're going to publish? Are you still doing four per week and just sort of indefinitely going forward with that? No publishing schedule outside of the 12 months. You know, it was a rolling 12 months when I first got it. I just did um, enough research and um, have a content schedule for 2021. Um, but beyond that, you know, I'm not sure if that expands out to a wider alcohol brewing sector, the wine, you know, there's about seven thousand different types of beer to actually review you know i'm not sure if that's an actual content strategy that's where we're going to get into or not you know because people do like posting their beer reviews on youtube but you know it's like it's outside of their friends and family that are actually watching those are those keyword heavy you know i haven't really decided outside of the home brewing uh, niche specific if that site actually expands out or not you know it's it's homebrew academy you know it's not how to brew beer.com it's brewing of things right you know i 
stepped my toe into a few coffee posts just to see how Google would respond to that. You know, if it's categorized very specific with only brewing beer, you know, if um, I threw a few test posts out on how to brew whiskey, how to brew gin or rum or that kind of stuff, you know, will that site, will, will it respond? Well, I'm not sure yet. The tests are still out. So. Gotcha. It's yeah. interesting. Let's I know play. the homebrew shops that I went to, you know, we're weird people, us homebrewers. So there yeah. were all sorts of different fermentation. It could be, you know, kombucha. You may get into some sort of other, you know, fermented foods, not just beverages, definitely mm -hmm. like coffee roasting and like those different kind of beans. Like that's a big niche and very interesting. I love coffee and got into you know, roasting my own beans at home too. So those are other places you can get into. And often sure. if someone's making beer at home, they're doing some other weird stuff too, or at least they're, they'll, they'll dabble. So I would check yeah. that out. Okay. So shifting gears over to the YouTube side. So you mentioned you, you found someone who was already publishing some YouTube videos. So how did, how did you find this person? And then it sounds like kind of like the other stuff, maybe you just reached out and laid out what your idea was. So take us through that part. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, the first, the first eight secrets were just doing it right. You know, there's no specific strategy behind just reaching out saying, Hey, you're doing a cool job on YouTube. I kind of would like to syndicate some of the content over on the site. I think, I think having, um, he didn't have a site linked from his YouTube channel and he was about 20 weeks into it, into this challenge that he had put out. So I kind of had some clues as to if he was just going to continue to stay on the platform or try to move off. Um, I thought he would probably personally want to move off at this point, you know, where, where he was at. So I reached out to him. I, I, you know, I asked, I said, are you going to make your own website surrounding this? Um, he said, he said, absolutely not. I have no interest in, keeping up with the technical aspects of WordPress and plugins and updates and themes and hosts. And I was like, I have no interest in that. Like, okay, well I do, you know, I, this is where I'm at. And this is my passion is, is business and traffic and um, promoting these things. I think it'd be a good crossover to have a lot of video content on the site. Uh, I can syndicate it over there and that sends, you know, it's Google property, right? You know, it's, one of the secrets that large YouTube channels have is they have their content off the channel and they're pushing people to their channel off the platform, right? You know, it's not a secret, I guess. The more you can drive views off a platform, the more the platform rewards you for it. So that was kind of the conversation that started the approval of syndicating his, his uh, homebrew challenge off onto the homebrew academy you embed the videos and you have, you know, his permission to transcribe it and sort of pull it together. Is there any other sort of monetary exchange going or is just a cross promotion and you're both obviously getting, you know, more content out of it and or marketing? Yeah. Yeah. Early on, I thought, um, I thought having a guy that did a hundred videos do an actual course on the topic, you know, not, how to do a hundred videos on something or how to host a challenge, but do an actual brewing course around a specific area that he would like to do would be a good idea. I just, I didn't know how much work doing one video a week would be. Uh, <laughs> he said, no way, you know, absolutely not. I've, I've, I got, 
all my free time is wrapped up in the in the brewing and videos and editing and recording like weekly outside of his own you know he has a full-time job right so his extra 10 hours a week are going towards this here i was thinking it was going to add add another 10 hours a week to a schedule to put out a full course was going to be a good idea seen it from his side and obviously that's that's not the case but that might change after the fact because he's got a very good uh, system going for creating videos and he doesn't really know what he's going to do after the challenge is over whether he's going to step out and start brewing like you said other things fermentables or or wine or you know whatever but i think he is interested in doing specific brewing courses just not a generalized course like I think that free line has moved three or four years ago um, outside of just how to brew beer. Now people are very interested in the specifics and not being distracted by YouTube ads and related videos and all the other stuff, stuff you can find on the platform, but um, learning directly from the person that you want to, the course creator um, on an undistracted platform um, still is an opportunity. and. And he's aware of it, so am I. Yeah, I think I may have spun too far out into the the right side of the field on that one. <laughs> no, that's that's perfect. I mean, it, it's very it's very interesting because I mean, I obviously do YouTube videos, and yeah, mm-hmm. there's so many distractions, and it's really easy for a viewer to accidentally like just veer off path and not actually even finish your video. Or maybe they just kind of get distracted and forget what they were trying to do. It's just, like you said, there's value in having like a dedicated platform without distractions so that someone can actually learn stuff. And from from your perspective, like how has the cross promotion gone? Have you seen a lot of traffic on your site? And then is he getting more views now that you're working together? Like what's the result? Yeah, yeah. So every, every month or so, I'll... Um, I'll collect all those URLs into one GA report and send it over to him just so he has it, right? So he can see how many people are viewing that video embedded. You know, if you get that metrics from your YouTube dashboard behind the scenes, but I, I want him to see how many people are coming through the site and either just skimming over the video, but yet seeing the seven to eight images of him and whatever he's doing inside of the transcript and then maybe finding his channel through that, you know, he knows it's going to be a lead source through many different ways. Some that are easily tracked and some that are not, you know, so he's got search volume for homebrew challenge, right. On Google and on YouTube, right. Does that come from the homebrew Academy? Does it come from like, where does that come from? Right. So that's, that's the murky world of branding um, that we talked about right at the beginning was, uh, like, where does the actual search volume come from? Um, he thinks that's influenced by having off-site, uh, off YouTube, off his platform, right? Searches happening, and that's the case. Uh, it's just, it's a gray zone, right? You know, you can't really track that. You know, it's cross-platform tracking, which is tough. Mm-hmm. And then I, I guess just like overall, like once the relationship, especially on his side, because I am curious, like, how much of a benefit it is to on the YouTube side, all of a sudden it's getting some more links. Some people are actually viewing it on your site. If he was like, Oh, we can see there's a little uptick and now we're at sort of a different level. So it's probably actually, that is something I know I can go and look in. It's called like a social blade. Is that what it's called that you can get 
um, yeah. those stats. So that's freely yeah. available. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes and description so people could check it out. But you could like track along, you know, my channel and see like if there was any hockey stick growth. There wasn't. It's just been like very slow, <laughs> methodical, very slow <laughs> yeah. growth. So well, okay, well that, that's cool. That's good growth in SEO's mind. Slow and steady improvement, two percent over time. You know, for an SEO, that's we don't want to see, you know, too many hockey sticks. You like to see bumps, and you like to see, you know, that. I mean, obviously, if it always hockey stick, that'd be great. But you know, as as digital asset creators and owners, you kind of know that those sticks, you know, they come and go. So the excitement on the front end. Sometimes if you let your emotions ride high with that, you know, they fall down on the backside, right? And usually they, those metrics stay a little bit higher than they were before that, you know, that offsite promotion, um, oh, yeah. you know, but every Sunday I send that out, that curated content out to an email list of 23,000 subscribers. So every Sunday, definitely you'll see that, you know, just like the opposite of a, nine to five niche where Monday through Friday traffic is high and Saturday and Sunday it sits in a gully and you're going, what happened? Right. You know, yeah. it's, it's in a nine to five niche where people are using that for work related stuff. Very cool. And you said 23,000 on the email list. Um, can you share yeah. like the open rate and some other metrics, I guess, open and click through rate. Just curious about those. Yeah. Uh, it's nothing outside of the normal. It's, 25 to 30% open rate um, with about a five to 6% click through rate, uh, depending on the type and style of, of a beer. Yeah. That's great. I was going to say that's much higher than mine as far as the actual click through rate, but I'm in the internet marketing area where everyone's like, Oh, hit over the head with like these different overnight success stories or some other kind of bullshit, you know? So, yeah. The marketing okay. to marketers is different, you know, than marketing to, to homebrewers, right? You know, that's very, yeah. you think it's the same, you think it's a niche business, um, but marketers are definitely another weird bunch, right? They're completely resistant to being marketed to, but they want to know how to market to their specific business niche audience. You know, it's kind yeah. of funny. I always try to determine that line and where that sits at, but yeah, it's, it's another weird bunch. Sure is, man. It, it does. It makes me want to hop into the homebrew area. Just, you know, one of my, one of my friends, I'm actually going to be on his live stream tomorrow from the time we're recording this Matt Javanese yeah. and he has yeah. a homebrew blog and a YouTube channel and stuff too. And, um, we, we've talked a couple of times. We're like, man, it would just be cool to like sit around, drink beer and then publish that and have a YouTube <laughs> channel on that. So, and we potentially, right. Arguably we have the chops and perhaps we're entertaining enough to make that work, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm not even drinking right now. So, <laughs> I, well, yeah, I don't know where the concept of dry January came from. Like what Mascus decided, like, let's create a whole month to where what's going to drink the 11 months out of the year. And then just not all of a sudden, like what, where did that even come from? Do you know? How about you know moderation, you know, that would be a better idea than just stopping cold Turkey. So and anyway, um, getting back on, on track. So you have fairly typical, uh, open rates and email, uh, mm -hmm. sort of interaction. You mentioned that you have like essentially evergreen marketing in place. So someone will sign up for the list and they'll get an offer. And then you also, 
uh, typically you would quarterly launch, although you skipped it, you know, last fall, which makes sense. I actually did the same thing with some of the promotions that I do. Can you explain what's in the email sequence for people that haven't put together maybe like an autoresponder or any kind of campaign like that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of super soft, soft touch right out of the gate. You know, it's just a welcome series. Obviously the deliver the thing that they signed up for, you know, if you're trying to test different things, don't forget to switch out the actual PDF that you want to attach to the first email made that mistake, been there, done that. I think we probably all have, you know, you switch out a headline on the opt-in and Hey, get this thing. And then you deliver them something else. And they're like, dude, that's not a great start. Right. So don't stub your toe, I guess, on a technical aspect, like you will, I guess. Um, if you're listening to this, you probably would be doing those types of things. Um, but it's, it's very welcome. Here's some of the most popular content on the site. Here's kind of a little backstory about us, where we came from, what we're passionate about, you know, a little bit of connection. Then every three or four days, it's uh, like a similar touch point. It just says, hey, um, you know, hope some of those things that I explained inside of this, you know, PDF you downloaded, hope you get a chance to check them out. You know, this is the one thing that um, if I could just tell anybody, and I told my dad this, you know, that, uh, that would kind of change a little bit of whether it's either saving money or being a little bit more efficient. Like, this is what I tell them, you know, there's, there's plenty more tips in there, but just kind of referring back to the thing and, uh, giving them, them one of the actual tips and then giving them reason to go back and maybe find that if they didn't open it or agree with the one that they not, or, or clearly disagree with one, one of the the money saving tips in there too, which, which does happen. You know, you kind of want to elicit a response. Um, you don't want to be just a, a, a wet rag in somebody's inbox. So sometimes um, you'll get a response on either side of the fence, which is a good thing, but it's, then it just kind of goes into more of a three or four day, um, like just resurfacing old content, you know, new challenge stuff, like where that actually come from, like some of the back history and the story about, you know, that, uh, that partnership we talked about. Um, you know, then it's uh, mentioning this, um, you know, I took this beer tasting mastery course, Evergreen, you know, I, did, I pulled it off the launch cycle when we first started and then just put it on Evergreen cycle. So it's a, you know, there's a discount for being a new subscriber in there that says, hey, you know, here's your, you know, discount. If you want to check out this beer tasting mastery course, you know, we think it's great. Uh, then there's just two more emails behind that with reminders. And then it kind of just transfers over to this to the general. It's a, it's a Sunday newsletter, right? You know, it's happy Sunday homebrewer is the the opening line on all the emails. So it's kind of married to Sunday. Um, so it just kind of dumps into the main sequence after that. Yeah. So nothing too technical, nothing too like I'm not taking people down different flows and, you know, different campaigns and stuff. It's just very, very um, beginner friendly, I guess. I like that approach with just keeping it simple. Um, one of the mastermind groups I'm in, someone's like really skilled with, I think, active campaign, and they have set it up for really corporate type clients. And th there's so much power, right? There's so much segmentation and delivering the right message at the right time and all that stuff. And it's good for marketing that 
specific product and I'm just picking on active campaign because that's the one I hear people throw out often. But yeah. most of the time, yeah. like we're simple marketers, right? You can make it really complicated and set up like three different segments or six different segments and try to deliver just the right message. But our assumptions are just that. They're assumptions on what that person wants. So I know I've seen you know people go down, go through my funnel, which is simple. There's not many mm -hmm. branches off and it turns out maybe they didn't buy anything like the beginner product for years. And then all of a sudden it was the right time for them. And my assumption was completely wrong. So I definitely like the simple approach. And I think when people make it complicated out of the gate before they have any data, because now you've been doing it for a couple of years, you might be able to make a few determinations based on the data real data from your own traffic on who's purchased what and after how much time. So sure. uh, I am curious how many emails are in your autoresponder slash like sort of sales campaign before they just get the broadcast emails. Uh, nine. Yep. Okay. I like it. I think that's what I'm going to, I'm you're coaching me, Carl right now. Cause I'm, I got to a point where I have, I had something like 40 emails in my autoresponder and much like my blog, it needs to be cleaned up. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to, you know, go down to metal. I'm going to start from scratch, keep the very best, and hopefully end up with like nine or 10 emails. And maybe every six months or so, I will do the same thing. So it's always a little fresh. There's never anything in there that's like five years old or six years old, like I have in my autoresponder now. Because People don't think it's relevant anymore. Maybe maybe with beer, it would be a little bit better if you're referring to maybe like a historical style, which is obviously not going to change. There's no like new things coming up with a specific mm -hmm. style that is kind of static. So, okay. Yeah. Very good. And, and that was, you know, it was, I started down that, that complicated route. You know, I started down the, hey, can I split this campaign in half? And now I have to write 10 e emails for this person and 10 more emails for the person that didn't, that clicked and didn't open. And uh, for me, I just, I didn't really enjoy that particular process in the, in the business. You know, you can do those things with SEO too, like extremely fast. You can just, somebody told you to do something or try something. And all of a sudden you've, you've just added on another five hours a week uh, to test a SEO whiz bang thing, you know, that, uh, you don't even know is proven or not just because you read it on some other blog or some podcast or some something, right. You know, so you do that two or three times over and, um, and you might get lost in the weeds pretty quick and, um, it might actually be doing more damage than good. Right. So I just, I didn't enjoy that actual email split testing and segmentation process. So I just, I did what works for me, you know, keep it simple. When the person gets the offer for the first time in that email sequence, they get a little discount. And then after that, mm -hmm. it, is the course still available for them to purchase? It's just without the discount. Do you have like some scarcity um, aside from the discount going away or does it? Yeah, I guess can can the person just buy it at any time and it's just not discount? No scare, scarcity outside of the the actual email. They you know it's evergreen. They can buy it whenever um, at full price, and then you know I'll do 
promotions, like, you know, either quarterly or as new ones came out, you know, it kind of went like every other month because I had a new course coming out with a different partner on a different thing. Right. So I would launch that, you know, as, as a discounted promotion. And then I would mention like, you can get this other course um, along with it at just the same discount if you want to, right. You know, you can buy a, buy two courses at this same 25% off rate, you know, that kind of thing. So as more courses would come out, it kind of created this more of a portfolio approach to where you can discount the whole bundle. I never really, I always wanted to bundle them up and sell them all as a package. Haven't yet. It's been on my to-do list, you know, just like Permian and going back and killing old content on your site. You know, there's some resistance that builds up and you kind of think maybe my time is better served somewhere else, you know, whatever the the mental hurdle is that you need to get across to be able to accomplish that one thing I need to do list, you know, it's different for all of us. But uh, uh, I think that's been one thing that I've been wanting to do, just haven't quite pursued it just yet, was the, the bundling of all, all of them. Yep. I like that too. I think there's some other, you know, sales psychology and marketing in play there. So I'm, again, I'm like, excited to bundle some of my stuff. Once I get a few more products out there, I'm perhaps putting up a couple barriers, but I would like to make it a a great offer whenever I bundle my products together. So now before we switch gears and kind of go a little bit higher level, is there anything else about homebrew Academy that I didn't ask that, you know, we should talk about here. We hit content, we hit YouTube. Oh, link building. Is there any, you know, big link building things that you did? No, no, I wish there was, there was something that I could say, Hey, just go out and do this and you can start generating 10 links a week to your content. But there's, there's no one particular, um, secret, right? There's, there's different types of link bait that you can put out there. You know, there's, um, lists and, um, statistics designed to be able to attract links from different types of people for different reasons. Um, you can try to appeal somebody's ego, uh, been there, done that. Didn't feel great doing about it. Don't do a whole lot of it. I, I prefer to put out stuff that has, um, hard data in it that people would look to, to make for a source link. So more of the, if I was a journalist, what would I want to be able to link to in this specific area and how do I get them to that piece rather than, I guess you'd call that more of an inbound approach than uh, than outbound approach. Yeah. So there's no, there's no skyscrapers. There's no like mass email campaigns that go out begging for people for a link. You know, I see courses and I get in, inbound requests from those types of people because my email is sitting right there on the about page, you know, Hey, can we, can we work together? And, you know, for do file link placement, please, sir. I'm like, no, no, you can't. So I, <laughs> I, I'm blunt and, uh, um, just want to be upfront about it. You know, I'm the, I'm the same way. I've, I think I've heard you say that on the, on the podcast before. I'm just going to say, say no hard pass. And you hit me up three or more, three or four more times than, then you'll get spammed maybe one or two, you know, just archive them and uh, be gone. But I don't want to fall in in the side of that either um, in other people's inboxes. Yeah. And and, you know, the sad thing I just got hit up by, it's actually like a successful marketer. I didn't know him before, but he's built things and sold them. And yeah, he's just spamming me with automated emails. And I'm like, come on, dude, (laughs) why are you doing that? Like you sent one yesterday, you sent another one today. Like, it wasn't Matt, just, was it? Oh. 
<laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. it, it, yeah. Yeah. I won't say who it is on, on, on an air here. Cause I see the thing is like, he may be like a, a cool dude and we have like common friends and like, that's the right way to like make the intro, you know, like don't spam me, but yeah, I mean, sure. there's courses out there where it's just like, yeah, I, I got the best results after I sent four reminders and here's how you do it with this automated email. And hopefully like, as I'm marking them as spam and you are like, these will not be deliverable in the future, but I'll see how it goes. I mean, it's just a mild annoyance, but it's one of those things that I don't want to spend time in the email box. So, okay. Back on yeah. track here. <laughs> any, any process. Um, it works in some markets. It, 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 it annoys people in some markets and it, and it works in others. You know? Right. Well, like you mentioned before, it's like marketing to marketers. Like they're taking this approach with me who like, knows the approaches so it's not effective with me it's the opposite right. yep. okay so yeah any anything else with the site overall you mentioned no, no other link building n- nothing super interesting um other than you know the stats i think those are very good tips um do you do any like custom graphics with the stats so people can maybe pull those and use them and then link back to your site I find that, you know, the JavaScript charts um, work sometimes, you know, people can't pull that as an image unless they screenshot it. So if you want to, if you're going to do a JavaScript chart where it's just, the information is displayed when you hover over it, right? Whether it's a bar chart or a pie chart or whatever, um, usually it's, it's better to include an image at the bottom that can be easily pulled or sourced for something, you know, rather than saying, Hey, you can, you can screenshot this and use it, you know, and I won't come after you for taking the data right off my site, you know, that could get deleted tomorrow. And then that person pulled the image right off the site just by taking a screenshot of it and they don't have any uh, recourse, I guess, you know, so include the images, I guess, if you're going to use graphs that are designed in JavaScript charts for other people to use along with that. And as I'm saying that, I can think of three different posts that I didn't do that on. So this is more of, Oh yeah, by the way, <laughs> start right practicing what you preach a little bit more too while you're at it. <laughs> okay. And then to sort of wrap it up, a couple, couple more questions. Do you have other sites? Is this just part of your portfolio or, you know, what, what else do you work on? Yeah. Uh, the, the very first site that I sold that got me out of the day job was in the motorcycle industry. Um, I do, I do have another site in the motorcycle industry. You know, it's, that was seven years ago right you know there's there's no really um non-compete in place that lasts for seven years at that point at least i would you know i i signed one longer than i than i wished i wouldn't have i guess after that uh but you know there's there's uh there's that i do i leave the seo team at an agency so we have a full client list of sites that we work on and um we use sites in different markets to be able to apply strategies and tactics on those sites and vice versa. Um, so it, it gives us a broader general feel of what's working on, uh, on a digital marketing strategy level than just specific SEO inside of this particular niche. Yeah. So, but I don't, I don't have a whole, like, you know, a whole batch of sites myself. You know, I, I have fun with this one because it talks a lot about beer and homebrewing, but I usually will start a site chasing, chasing money and then three or four months later to have zero ambition to keep working on it because I, you know, it fizzles out, right. You know, it burns out. So yeah, those things die off pretty quick. And I've learned over the years to, 
you know, be excited about something and just live through the excitement rather than go start a website about it. And in addition to it. <laughs> yeah, it takes, that's a hard lesson to learn, but yeah, I've been, been there too, especially early on, you know, you buy these domain names and you're like, I'm definitely going to start a site on that thing. And then if you're lucky, you, you don't do anything, you don't burn any more time and it's just a domain that you let go. But yeah, yeah it's so, it's so lucky, tempting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. If you're, if you're lucky, you get that far with it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's the fun part of the business, right? Being able to experiment and be able to, to drop those lines in the water and kind of test things out you know, just because you can, I mean, why not? Right on. All right. Well, we talked earlier and you're not promoting anything. You were, you made it clear. You were like, Hey, I'm just here for the audience. I'm a listener. I'm a viewer. So I appreciate your time, Carl. People can obviously go to homebrew Academy and there's nowhere else you want them to go, right? No, no, that's, um, that's one of the things I was going to quick, quick push that back on you. I'm here, obviously talking to you about your, you know, um, your niche site business. You know, if you were to inherit this site, like say I, I died from COVID here soon, unfortunately. And, I gifted this site off to Doug, you know, what would be his first five or six um, quick wins that he would tackle with it um, from your perspective, from what I've told you uh, over the last, last hour or so. Oh man. Well, I'll give you some off the cuff and then I'll probably think about it some more. And when I record the, the podcast um, outro, maybe I'll pepper some more in there. So cool. I'll force you like to listen it. to your own episode here. So I would, because I'm, obviously into podcasting. I like the audio format and I personally listen to maybe thousands of hours of beer podcasting. I would probably start a podcast in the home brewing area. There's so much content that you can repurpose that's already done on your site. That's already um, kind of done on YouTube. One of the, mm-hmm. you know, very influential podcast that I listened to. It used to be called the Jamil show. And there's a guy named Jamil Zanishef. I have a couple of his books on the shelf behind me here. And he, they, they rebranded it to something called brewing with style, which is a, a better name. And he goes over all of the, the styles that gives a little history, talks about how to brew them. And then he eventually wrote a book based on the podcast episodes, more or less, which were his award-winning recipes. So I would probably start a podcast. There are potentially, you know, with your approach that you've been taking before, there's probably people that you could partner with to do it. Now, the thing is, obviously, to put out a episode a week or to create a video, like you have to have someone who's committed because this stuff gets hard fast. And if you don't, you know, if you're not committed to the whole process, it'd be real easy to have someone hop on, do five, six episodes and then quit. So it sounds like you've been very good at finding people that can follow through. From the content standpoint, it, it sounds like you're, you know, you did a, a great job. So you have different areas. You have some that are more keyword driven. You have some that are commercially driven and then mm-hmm. you have some that are sort of crowdsourced and get the community involved, which is brilliant because you'll probably have some crossover with that there. Um, I would potentially put into your process maybe every six months or a quarter to figure out how to sort of re-optimize the content and 
this kind of goes back to me not auditing my blog for years. So I end up with a total mess on my hands. So mm-hmm. you may already have this in place. Uh, do, do you already like some sort of periodic uh, content audit? Yeah. Yeah. Probably more than, more than I should just because of the, the hazards of the day job. You know, I'm, I'm uh, I, I do a lot of it through the, through the SEO agency. So I can't, I can't help but not do it. Uh, okay. When it comes to my fights. Yeah. So that's a good, that's a good habit there. So I haven't, I didn't do investigation ahead of time. So that's why I may come back and give more tips. Yeah. Cool. And, I really like it. You know, like, like always go have a look at what your competitors are marketing, the kind of content that's working for them. And obviously I really like YouTube as well. I think, I mean, there were other YouTubers that I watched learning to homebrew as well. And I think, you know, people like personalities. And if you could have like more of a talking drinking show, there's a possibility. Now, I don't know if there's many of them out there, but there's a possibility where you can make that work really well. In one of my other favorite shows, they basically talk to breweries. So they would get the head brewer on, they would talk beer, they would really geek out and Mm -hmm. That was that was the show. They would drink beer, they would have samples, and it was, you know, fun for the host, fun for the brewer, because they get to talk shop and all that stuff. And I think it would stand for actually it would work for a podcast and it would work for YouTube as well. So I think there's other mediums um that you can branch out into and just like, you know, double down, triple down on YouTube even more. Those seem to that you fall into the media personality um content creation bucket, I guess, if you would, like kind of creating, you know, more YouTube videos in specific areas, podcasts, like you said, interviewing probably homebrewers to start, but then expanding out to people that are running microbreweries right here in West Michigan. We probably have a microbrewery, I don't know, like a church bar microbrewery and then start back over again. But I guess one area we never even really jumped into is physical products, right? You know, I, I just emailed the guy that that did uh, Brewer, the Brewer Stone Journal. You ever heard of that? This uh, limestone paper, right? Rather than actual, you know, tree cut paper, they make paper from uh, limestone waste, right? And he had a he had a product for sale called the Brewer's Stone Journal that did okay, you know, for a while. But this is a stationary company, you know, it wasn't like a a homebrew e-commerce store where they added on a journal to it. You know, he was trying to trying to take this journal and market it to homebrewers um, through his stationary business. Right. So there was some disconnect, I guess there. Uh, so I just emailed him a few weeks ago and he sent me five cases of the things and he hasn't sold them in close to two years. Right. You know, and now I can't get a hold of them. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do with these, but it definitely has the wheel spinning when it comes to, what physical products can be created for to solve specific pain points in that industry. Cause I, I kind of did that whole process once before and I don't want to get too spun out, but I did 3d design source in China, sell on FBA. And I'm always kind of looking at crossover to be able to expand revenue streams with that in mind. Also, I think it could be diff. Are you a home brewer as well? No, see, I, I actually been okay. uh, sober for over five years. Okay. Interesting. I've been dry, dry five years. <laughs> Interesting. 
You know, yeah. fun like quick uh, tangent here. I was. Did you ever hear of the Beer Connoisseur magazine? Oh yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I I was friends with like the founders. It was out of Atlanta. So like one of my one of my very good friends was one of the co-founders, and then the mm-hmm. other founder was sober. He was an alcoholic and he was sober, which is, it was a strange combination. Cause we went to like great American beer festival and like, it's like, Hey, you know, you're, you're at the behind the scenes parties and stuff. And yeah, sure. It was kind of a, it's like, Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't drink. I'm sober. It was like, everyone's like, huh? Okay. It's like, awkward <laughs> Wait a minute, so. yeah. yeah. yeah sure. So I think I would, because you're not a home brewer, it would be slightly more difficult to like hit the pain points. Of course you could go, talk to home brewers and figure those out through conversations and all that stuff. But I would most likely try to partner with either homebrew shops that are white labeling and doing the heavy lifting for you or mm-hmm. partner with the manufacturers. But there is a lot of white, a lot of white labeling going on. And then there are, you know, other physical product companies that pop up like Blickman's a really good one and they have fantastic mm-hmm. products I am drawing a blank on some of the others, but with um, some of the electric systems that are out and just different established companies already, I would probably partner with them. And because you're more on the content side, unless you just wanted to dabble with physical products, you could, like I said, you could produce podcasts, you could do YouTube and have them sponsor the show and like have it like more as a partnership where you both cross promote each other and that sort of thing. But you can still have an affiliate relationship, of course, but at that point you don't have to go through all the R and D and you don't have to like have all this inventory. You're sitting with your strengths, which is like producing content in different mediums and then getting Mm -hmm. traffic there. So I don't know. It, It just depends on how much you would want to come up with a physical product, but since you're not a home brewer, it's like, I, I mean, I'm a home brewer and I'm like, I don't even want to do it. So <laughs> there, there's no one thing though, that you wish exists that doesn't, right. You know, there's no, like, usually that's when you put the eye on a great product and you see it and you're like, Oh, why didn't I think of that? Right. There's no like one humongous pain, like the brew in the bag, you know, thing started what like nine ten years ago something like that longer than that you know it mm-hmm. just became popular by branding and then obviously people transferred that into into metal bags and stuff but there's no like one thing that like ah, i wish something would just fix this yeah right no and it's you know there could be there could be those products but in a lot of ways i'm like just a someone who's satisfied once a problem is solved and I probably am not doing things in the, in the best way across the board, whether it's like home brewing or doing SEO or whatever, but if it's like close enough, usually I'm satisfied and I'm like, oh, I have that, you know, plug in problem solved. So I'm not out there trying to f- find solutions to problems that I already partially have solved and I don't have yeah. any like major issues. So no, I don't have any magic ideas. Yeah, Sorry. good. Yeah, that's, I mean, no, that's good. I mean, because if, if it was really that painful, you'd just go buy the beer at the store, right? You know, you wouldn't be looking to solve that, like that itch, I guess, when it comes to one piece of the whole puzzle that uh, right. that needed to be solved, right? Yep. Cool. Yeah. 
Appreciate it. All right. Well, any other any other thoughts or anything before we wrap it up? No, I think I I think I threw a fastball at you, and it was fun to get get a few responses. I'm looking forward to seeing what generates after our conversation. And yeah, this is this has been obviously one exciting site to work on for me personally, because like you said earlier, you know, I I meet some people sometimes, and I tell them I'm sober, and they're like, "Why do you run a homebrewing site? Like that's like." Well, I'm passionate about the business side of things, right? I'm passionate about the the marketing, the SEO, the relationships, all that stuff outside of the actual drinking of the beer. Because I, I I see competitor sites pop up all the time. You know, they're these guys are very passionate about drinking beer, and they work on their site for three months and realize they just like drinking beer more than working on a website, right? Those passions don't cross over all that well and sometimes they do sometimes they don't you know for me the motorcycle passion didn't cross over because i have a bike i like riding it try to make a business out of something doing something related and it then it pulled the passion right out of it for me right so for me personally working on something that i don't participate in is a very good fix for that well, thanks for joining me, Carl. Um, hopefully we can get an update in the future and see how things are going. Yeah, appreciate it, Doug. Thanks again. Thanks again to Carl. And if you have questions for him, please shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show. I can circle back and see what Carl has to say. He's more than willing to uh, join us on another show here too. So really appreciate that, Carl. And it was it was great that we were able to connect. Had a great conversation there, and we talked for a while off the air too. So my suggestions here: I did have to go and, and think about this a little bit because you're doing a great job with earning from multiple profit sources. I think that's one of the the best things people can add into the mix here. If you're earning from those other sources, if there's any issue with, say, commission rate changes from, say, Amazon, which happens from time to time, you have a little bit of a buffer. You got a little bit of a protection, and that's a good thing. The fact that you have your own products is fantastic, too. So I'm going to give you some suggestions. Some of them are going to be kind of, you know, not as important as others, but I think probably one of the number one things you can do is get some affiliates to sell your courses for you. So I'm not sure if you already have that going. I don't think we talked about that in the episode. Now that I'm saying this out loud, I realize I didn't re-listen to the interview. (laughs) There's a chance you have a couple of affiliates, but if you can rope in some more folks to help promote your content, that would be huge. I'm As I'm saying this, I'm also thinking, hey, I should get some more affiliates to sell my stuff. But I, I actually realized in the internet marketing world, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more, I guess, like bad players, dishonest people out there. So it's a little bit tougher to find good affiliates for internet marketing. But I think, Carl, if you can find some bigger influencers in other areas, so we're talking Instagram we're talking YouTube, we're talking podcasts. A lot of times people are looking for a way to monetize and they've created their brand, they've created their social media following with no real idea how to monetize. And you have products that are good 
you have people that created them that have awesome credentials. So you can reach out in your network and see who potentially can work with you. The first place I would go, you know, after you look at your own network is to ask those people that created the courses if they have some contacts out there. Again, it doesn't really matter what platform. It could be YouTube, Instagram, podcast, bloggers, etc. Like see if they have contacts that they can introduce you to. That warm introduction is huge versus you know, just a cold email from a random person. Now, the good part is with Homebrew Academy, you do have um, a presence already. You have the courses in place and people that are already working with you. So there's a lot of like social proof there already, which is great. So it's a little bit easier for you to reach out to people now, but a warm intro is going to be great. The other thing is just create more courses. As I've uh, talked about it, Again and again, the multiple income streams are great. You're selling your own products. The margins are high. It's fantastic. So I would look for other ideas for courses, see what other courses are out there. You can check with your email list and see what they're interested in and you know, run surveys and, and figure out what else you can offer. One thing that I I wouldn't do necessarily, um, just because I don't like that particular business model, is to set up like a ongoing membership where you're kind of on the hook for producing more courses on an ongoing basis. I think some people love that kind of uh, more community and ongoing uh, monthly revenue that's coming in, but for me personally. I don't want to do that. I just, I don't want to manage a community. Um, I, I don't want to continually have to create new courses like every month or every other month or anything like that. I may end up doing that over like certain periods of time. Last year, I created a few courses over a few months, but then I, I took a break to just chill out for a little bit. So more courses, find people that, you can work with, um, they'll be your, your, your affiliate, and then you'll potentially be able to grow your sales a, a lot more in a huge amount. And you, you'll get them into your sales funnel, which is great because then you could potentially sell them more products in the future. We talked about bundling and I know you have some uh, you know, different things you'll have to tackle from a technical perspective and a profit share perspective. But I think those are just problems to solve. And I can't, I can't remember if we talked about that off air or on, but bundling your products and giving people a little bit of a, a deal, a little bit of a discount, but maybe instead of just buying one product, they end up buying three and you, you can, you know, sell more stuff that way. People love to get a deal. I love to get a deal myself. So the other area is just expanding into different platforms. You can pick your poison here. I really love the podcast format. I would, I'm probably going to start another podcast this year. Got a couple things in the works that are not finalized, but I love podcasts and the way you can connect with the audience, even though, you know, analytics are hard to come by. 
any of these podcasting companies are going to tell you they have great stats and analytics and all these metrics and stuff, but it's just a guess, you know, that they barely know what's going on. I mean, you can't blame them. I mean, it is an open format with an open format like that, that anyone can publish a podcast. I mean, you're not going to be able to get as great of analytics. So that's just one of those deals, which is okay. But podcasts, either think about starting your own or think about how you you or someone on your team can go out there and be a guest on shows and spread the word about your site. The other is YouTube. So same deal. You already have the YouTube presence. You're already publishing the YouTube videos. I think there's room for another kind of show on there. I wouldn't necessarily watch it these days, but I used to listen to the Brewing Network and they have the Sunday session and they ran it like a radio show. They'd have commercial breaks, but they would basically have brewers come in. They would hang out. They would have home brewers come in. They'd hang out, drink beer, talk shit, bust each other's balls. It was a good time. And I listened to, uh, honestly, it's probably thousands of hours because there were, there are hundreds of shows. They've been doing uh, this show, the Sunday session since I think like 2005, 2007, something like that. Or I started listening in 2007. But the point is, I put in a lot of hours listening to those guys and they were, they were uh, great personalities and, you know, cool, cool folks. And they they were a big influence on me and my brewing like over the years and, and drinking for that matter. And finally, TikTok maybe. So I was just chatting with my buddy, Chase Rayner. I think I'm saying his last name, right? But Chase is a YouTuber, SEO influencer kind of person. And I was chatting with him and he was like, yeah, TikTok, man, I'm getting all these views. And there's actually people like come into my site from it. And I was like, really? Like, and this is marketing stuff, right? And I played around with TikTok at the very, like not the very beginning, but in the last year, I messed around with TikTok and I was like, this is clearly making me stupider. I'm wasting time. And I think all the, all the uh, information about the data security and all this track. I don't even remember what it was. I, I saw headlines basically like TikTok was bad. So I was like, ah, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to delete it off my phone and take back some of those minutes of my life that I'll never get back. And uh, Chase was like, yeah, man, I've been getting a ton of views. And I just pulled up his uh, info here and you can check out Chase's stuff. Uh, it's real Chase Rayner. And that last name is R-E-I-N-E-R. So he has 40,000 followers on TikTok. He has 420,000 likes. And there's a couple of his TikToks here that have like half a million plus views. And there's one that has 1.9 million views. It's TikTok, and he's actually getting a decent amount of traffic back over to his site. He sent me some, you know, off the record uh, screenshots and some other some other things. So check out TikTok. I'm sure there's beer drinkers and people doing stuff there in the homebrewing world, and 
it's like the wild west. This is kind of the early time and Chase sort of inspired me. I haven't done it yet. I I have an account, but I haven't started posting anything, but I may just have to get over it, start publishing some stuff. It's so funny because I have like so many videos out there. I obviously can talk for a little while, but these are 15 seconds. I'm like, I don't know what I want to do here for the first one. I have no clue really what to do, but I may just go back to some of the topics that are kind of like the greatest hits, you know, that kind of thing and see how it goes. But yeah, like, like anything, these platforms are bananas and whatever you're into, there's like a a little pocket of a lot of these platforms where there are people who are into homebrewing who, and actually I didn't research that, but the point is maybe you can get on TikTok and have a bunch of people. Maybe you find someone, Carl, that is into TikTok and into beer and you you get them to help you out. You partner with them because they may not have a good way to monetize. Oh shit. Actually, I'm just bringing it all together. You potentially can find um, people who are doing well on TikTok into beer that don't have a way to monetize. And you're like, Hey, you could push my course over here. So I I don't know if a lot of people are doing that or the mechanisms to uh, get people over to your site, but that is a route that you can take. And it could be a good one to just sort of stake your claim into a new platform. So I think I covered a handful of things or some, some areas that are probably easier to get into and not really starting from scratch. Like, you know, if you, if you did move to a different platform, new podcast, new TikTok account, eh, there's going to be some slow growth there there'll be a learning curve, all those kind of details. But if you're just going to recruit affiliates, then it could be, you know, pretty quick. You can change your sales trajectory in a very meaningful way. I've heard uh, several case studies where it's just like add affiliates, have a good affiliate program and, and really work with them to make sure, you know, they have the information to market your products in a non-sleazy way, make sure it's a good product market fit, and then you're you're off to the races. It's a win-win situation for you and your affiliates. Hopefully that was helpful for you, Carl, and the other folks out there. I got a cool episode coming up. Um, I guess for the next one, episode 221, I talked to Carl with the C, Carl Jensen of 1500 Days. I had a fantastic conversation with him and it is, uh, it's a long one. There's a lot of tangents. It was a fun one. And I'm looking forward to chatting with Carl Jensen more and more in the future. So that's it for today. Have a great one. And we'll catch you on the next episode. 